great singing that new hymn. Sarah, thanks for bringing it to our attention. Uh, wonderful. If you would, please take out your Bibles and join me in turning to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we have just sung, we come to You. Father, we come to You now by coming to Your Word. And indeed, when the Word is at work, as it is applied by Your Spirit, we, Your people, are changed. So, Father, would you be pleased now through your word and by your spirit to change us to more and more reflect whose we are and what we are becoming in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I am amazed at the number of Bibles that are out there, not just the number of translations, I mean, that's a lot, but just the number of Bibles that are tailored to this person and that person. Now, to be sure, they're all built around the Word, but they have a helpful article here, a helpful article there. But you know what is also out there a lot? Illustrated Bibles. Bibles with pictures. Some with simple pictures, some with more complex pictures. Um, I'm sure we've all seen them. Illustrated Bibles. Because you see, even this Bible that's just words only is illustrated. It's full of pictures. Today, we're going to look at one picture in particular. Now, why are we studying the book of Acts at this point in the life of this church? Why? Because we here at Grace and Peace are in a similar though not identical situation as was the church we read about in Acts. I want you to look around. So people in the front get permission now to turn around and see who came in late, okay? Look around. You are worshiping and fellowshipping with people that you may not have naturally befriended. You may not have been naturally attracted to. People apart from Christ you may not share much in common with. And yet here are people with many different backgrounds who have become and more and more are becoming one congregation. You see, we need to continue to learn how to accept one another, how to love one another, how to work through conflict. And, and we'll see this in the book of Acts. Acts was given to instruct and encourage us in the mission of the church. In John chapter 20, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He's speaking to those who would be his apostles. Uh, the missio of the church, the mission to, to send. And so the church is sent by God into the world to declare the truth about God, the truth about the gospel, and demonstrate the life-saving and life-changing effects of the gospel. We're studying Acts now because we need to believe and actively lean on and rest on one truth in particular. As we plant and as we water. 
We need to rest on Jesus' words where he says, I will build my church. And we see that vividly displayed here in the book of Acts. And why are we studying? Because we need our faith not only strengthened, but we need often our faith to be realigned, reoriented, to get it back, as it were, on the proper object of our faith. Acts reminds us that Christianity is grounded in what God has done. It is not grounded in what we are called to do, although that is most certainly a part of it. Because Acts is going to help continue to ground us in the gospel, the good news, not the gospel of good advice. Now, where have we been for the past seven weeks? Well, we've been looking at the first couple of chapters of of Acts, which is a bridge between the four Gospels and the rest of the uh, New Testament, in particular the letters. We know it's written by Luke. Luke, Luke. The Gospel of Luke is volume 1. Acts is volume 2. We've already seen the time between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. We've seen the time between the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now we've seen the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the event the explanation in the form of a sermon by Peter, and then last week, the effect, the effect of Pentecost. Last week, we looked at Acts 2, 42 through 47, a summary of the activities and the attitudes of the church in Jerusalem. We saw this community of people who worship God and who welcome one another and witness to the world. We started last week with the question, what in the world is the church? And we ended with the question that the unbelieving world around us should ask us often. Who on earth are you as a result of the change that Jesus has brought into your life? Well, looking ahead to where we'll be going in the next few weeks, remember about the organization and structure of the book. It can be personally. We see the first half of Acts is centered around Peter. The second half will be centered around Paul. We'll see it geographically start in Jerusalem and then move out to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Acts is a road trip across the Mediterranean world. We've seen it or we'll see Acts develop demographically starting with Jews and then moving out to Gentiles and all across racial and ethnic and cultural barriers. And we will see the word go out progressively that are centered around Luke's seven progress reports. You see, in a few weeks, we'll get to to Acts 6-7 that says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, we see in Acts that the word of God is at work in those who believe. And beginning here in chapter 3, we will see that opposition will begin to the gospel and the persecution of believers for believing in the truth of the gospel will occur. So today is number 8 in our series looking at all that Jesus has continued to do and teach now through his apostles in the church that he founded through his apostles and by the Holy Spirit. Well, here's how we're going to approach our text this morning. First, we're going to look at Luke's description of the miraculous healing of the lame man. And second, we're going to take some time to think about what this miracle teaches by what this miracle displays. 
Now, if the miracle is the event, then Peter's sermon that follows in verses 11 through 26 that we'll look at next week is the explanation of the incident. It's his interpretation of what's taking place. Now, it's easy to think that this miracle that we'll see today is just providing the occasion or the excuse for Peter to preach a sermon. It is, but I think it's important that we consider first the miracle on its own terms before we look in depth at Peter's sermon, as we will do next week. So join me as I read verses 1 through 10 of Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so first, let's take a look at the miracle as an event, the miracle of healing described. Now here's the first example of the wonders and signs that is mentioned in chapter 2, verse 43. It also takes place in the context of the visits to the temple mentioned in verse 46 of chapter 2. Peter and John are going to the temple in Jerusalem to pray at the time of the evening sacrifice, about 3 p.m., Here we see a continued Jewish practice. You see, they didn't throw out organized religion. Now eventually, Peter and John and the other apostles aren't going to be able to stay and do this. Why? Because they are run out of Jerusalem. But until then, they continued the practice. And they encounter a lame man who is being carried in order to be laid down to beg at the entrance of the temple. Whoever placed him, placed him in a particular position where he could expect that people on their way to worship would pass by. He could expect to receive alms, that is gifts of money or goods given to the poor. Because he knew that religious people are supposed to be compassionate. And sadly in the history of God's people, sometimes that act of compassion took on a a meritorious work flavor. If you go back to Deuteronomy 15, you read about God's people were to keep their hands open to the poor. This man knows that. He's counting on that. 
Now, the beautiful gate, scholars have debated high and low, which is the beautiful gate? Well, there's no consensus, but most likely it's the one named the Corinthian gate that was made of bronze. Well, let's look at the beggar's condition. He is lame from birth. Later in chapter 4, we see he is over 40 years old. It underlines the wonder of what is about to take place. This is not a man in neonatal intensive care. This is a middle-aged man just in the everyday of his life. He lived a miserable existence, more difficult than I think any of us could envision. He's immobile. He's living a life of poverty. He's ridiculed, most likely. He's dependent. There is no government agency, no support group. It's a life of despair. A life of no hope. And yet this man has a request. He asks to receive alms. He's doing what he always did. He's begging for money so that he can make it just one more day. He didn't know who Peter and John were. He didn't know that they had walked with the one who routinely healed. The one who had appointed his apostles to continue his work. And you see in this description, he didn't even bother to look up. You know, he's confident, but he's not confident. He doesn't even look up. But things are about to look up for him. Things are about to change. Notice Peter's response, Peter and John's response to his request. And, and, and Peter and John, they, they, they look at the man. They look at him. They, they fix their gaze upon him How many of us, let's be honest, I mean, if I don't have to look, right, I don't have to do anything. Once you make eye contact, somehow the heart connects with the eye. Peter responds with this word, look at us, look at us. And then he provides an answer and and gives a command. He says, we don't have any money. Now, imagine the man hearing that. Disappointment. I've just asked for people who aren't going to be able to give anything. We don't have any money, but we have something much better. The offer of something that would address the cause of the problem, his lameness, not just the effect, him being poor and therefore having to beg. Peter says this, in the name of Jesus Christ, in other words, By the authority of Jesus, Peter is invoking the power and presence of Jesus with those words. And he says this, rise up and walk. If you go back to Luke volume 1 or Luke to chapter 5 with the paralyzed man and friends bringing him in through the roof. What does Jesus say to that man? Rise up and walk. With those words, Peter takes him by the right hand and raises him up. The right hand. Of course, a lot of references to Jesus being at the right hand of God. But I couldn't think about our study from Galatians, where Paul, we read in Galatians 2, was offered the right hand of fellowship. This man is being offered the right hand And let's see what happens. 
He is raised up. Peter is able to do this kind of thing that Jesus did because he's acting in Jesus' name. And here is the continuity between the ministry of Jesus and the witness and the ministry of the apostles. Well, how does the man react? And how do the people react to this? Well, look at verses 8 through 10. The beggar, he leaps up. He begins to walk. He enters the temple I love this expression, walking and leaping and praising God. Is this Luke's embellishment? Is this Luke just, how can I really make this sound neat? You remember Luke is a historian. He's a physician. He's wanting to get the details right. He's talking to eyewitnesses. What was this man doing? He was walking and he was leaping And he was praising God. He recognizes that he's been healed. And he not only recognizes it, he rejoices. His expectations are not met, right? He didn't get money. He didn't get that daily change that he needed to make it to tomorrow. His expectations were shattered. Um, You know, oftentimes when we, we think of things not meeting our expectations, we're disappointed, right? This did not meet his expectations, but in no way is he is disappointed. His entire life is transformed. There is radical, not radical as in California surfing radical, but ra- or skateboarding, but radical in terms of to the root, to the core. He's a new man. And look at the people in verses 9 and 10, all the people. They saw him, they recognized him, and they are filled with wonder and amazement. Earlier, there were signs of uh, um, the wind and, 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 and tongues like fire that appear. And people are amazed. But here, their amazement is because a man who was lame is now leaping. So, ask yourself... Are your expectations of what God can do in your life, are they too high or are they too low? Are they too weak or are they too strong? This man has expectations. And when we're honest with ourselves, we all have expectations. Is your expectation of what God can and will do governed and guarded and guided by what God has said in his word? So we've now seen how Luke describes this miraculous account of the healing of the man lame from birth. Well, let's now consider what the miracle displays. In other words, as I mentioned at the beginning, the Bible is an illustrated book. Every Bible is one. It's a picture book. And so what do we see in this account, this picture of Peter and John with a lame man who is begging outside the temple? The miracle and a picture in general. Uh, Remember, In the four Gospels, Jesus is doing miracles. And especially in John, they are referred to as signs. Signs that are appointing to the arrival of the kingdom of God. Peter, in his Pentecost sermon to the the crowd, refers to the mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Jesus. Signs that they most certainly knew something about. 
Jesus' miracles not only authenticated him as Lord, but they were pictures of his work and message. Our Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 27, of the sacraments, has this great statement. They are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace. They are holy signs pointing not to themselves, but to something else, something that they represent. Augustine, the church father, said, A sacrament is a visible form of an invisible grace. We see this is one of the many wonders and signs that were being done by the apostles. The miracle here is an action on the surface that points to a reality beneath and behind what is seen. And so what does this sign point to? What does this miracle serve as a picture of? Well, let's consider five pictures or five snapshots taken from five different angles. The first one, number one, a picture of man's condition. Did you hear the New Testament reading? You were dead, but God in His mercy has made you alive. It's man's condition of ignorance. Out of ignorance, this man asked for alms. He asked for money rather than asking them to tell him how to have life. So one aspect of, the, of man's condition is man is ignorant. The world does not know what to ask for. How about you? Do you know what to ask for? Preachers, pastors, Christians love it when somebody says, can you tell me how to be saved? And we will see that several times in Acts. You know, the jail doors break open. The prisoners stay put. The jailer says, tell me, what must I do to be saved? I hope we're a little bit prepared to provide an answer. But most often the world is not asking that question. The world is asking, what can I do to have a good time? What can I do to ease my pain? What can I do to make this relationship work? What can I do to make more money? You don't hear, where's the source of life? So man is ignorant. But there's also man is unbelieving. This man was accustomed to the same routine for years. He's expecting to receive money. He's not expecting a supernatural work of God. He does not expect something to happen. How about you? Are, are, are you living like I live at times, more often than I would care to admit, as a functional unbeliever? I've got the right theology up here, but I don't have the theology here. And this is a picture of man in bondage. This endless cycle of asking for alms. No escape, no hope. This man's condition is ignorance, unbelief, and bondage. You see that all over scripture, right? Until, but God. Until then, a man remains in ignorance. He remains in unbelief. He remains in bondage. 
And secondly, this is a picture of Christian witness. It's a clear pattern for Christian witness that's illustrated. Look at the authority. Did Peter and John say in our authority? No, in the authority of Jesus Christ, they are going to point to Jesus alone and in a sermon next week. They're pointing to Jesus, not themselves. Christian witness has authority. It also has confidence. Think about the true confession of Peter. Remember Peter who was really confident in himself? Here's Peter. I don't have any money. I'm bankrupt. He's not confident in his own resources, his own power, his own piety. He's confident in one thing, in Jesus Christ. Oh, to be there when the Lord Jesus restored a man not only to ministry, but to friendship and fellowship. A man who had denied him. Have you guys ever been betrayed by anybody? Have you ever been denied? I mean, are there certain people in your life that like sort of when the going gets rough, they deny that they even know you? Could you imagine the scene of that kind of restoration of friendship and fellowship? Peter's got confidence, not because of himself, but confidence because of the love of Christ. And notice, this picture of Christian witness shows a fundamental aspect of ministry. Peter is giving away that which he has not purchased. You see, we give away what we've been given. Think about it. Why would anybody that's been saved by works want to share the gospel? Why would anybody that's clinging to what they do to be right with God and holding on to that, why would, how could they share that with others? But my friends, you can give away what you've been given. Right? I mean, don't we all do regifting? Yeah, we get that gift that we don't like and we have an occasion to give another gift and we somehow find a good use for it. But Christian ministry is the regifting of the best kind, isn't it? He gives away what he had not purchased. He gives away what he had been given. Third, it's a picture of the power of God. Consider, Peter tells him to do something that he cannot do. He commands him to do something that's impossible. The man is lame. He can't walk. The very thing he's told to do, he cannot do. And so, my friends, this is an extraordinary moment. In other words, it's a miracle. In the words of C.S. Lewis, it's an interference with nature by a supernatural power. The movie, A Princess Bride, yes, it's a great movie. It'll take a miracle, as Miracle Max says, right? And it does. But this guy was not mostly lame. He was really lame, fully lame, completely lame. It will take a miracle. And fourthly, it's not only a picture of the power of God, it's also a picture of how God works. 
This miracle is an act of recreation. Jesus has ultimately come to bring about the recreation of all things, the new heavens and the new earth. He's come to restore, to bring back together that which has been torn apart. And notice you'll see here that divine power comes in the act of faith, not before. He did not feel the power before he got up, but as he did. It's often the case that the sense of God's strength comes to us as we obey, not before. Fifth and finally, it's a picture of the joy of discovering the power of God in the gospel. From walking to leaping, it's a response of gratitude and thanksgiving of praising God. He is praising God. It's proof of God's power to do what? To keep His promises. Turn back with me to Isaiah 35, our Old Testament reading. Beginning in verse 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then the lame man then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy his life has been transformed he knows it and others know it as well my friends do you think this man cared about what people thought of him as he not just walked but in particular as he leaped and praising God. I think of the time of David dancing as the Ark of the Covenant came in, and he was not embarrassed. Why? He feared God more than he feared man. My friends, when God does something great in your life, and stop and think this afternoon and ask, for God to show you some of the great things he's doing in your life. Are, are you embarrassed to publicly praise God? Now people in the office cubicle can, can tell the difference between, I'd like to thank my God and Father, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. They can tell the difference between that and, and, and the real deal. Do you acknowledge before others your faith in Jesus? Do you acknowledge before others your joy in Jesus? This man is. My friends, I need you all to help me not be embarrassed by the gospel. I'm going to help you not be embarrassed by the gospel. Because what is it? It is the power of God for the salvation of who? Everyone who believes. Now, this miracle results in the man having an entirely new life. It's an action that portrays something beyond the physical healing that the eyes can see. It points to the reality of salvation in Christ alone. Well, here we've just seen a series of photos. It's a motion picture. Remember, kids, movies used to be called motion pictures. It's a video of the gospel. This miracle is a video, a motion picture of the gospel. When the gospel is proclaimed, there is a command to do what can't be done. Think about it. I've been saying the gospel is good news, and it is, but think about Jesus' first sermon, 
Mark chapter 1. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, the gospel, as it were, commands us to do what cannot be done in and of ourselves. You see, this miracle is a video of how God operates in the gospel of grace. He commands, but he also gives what he commands. He enables us to repent and believe. That is good news. There's an article that's an excerpt from a sermon that I read a few years ago called The the Acid Test of Being a Christian. And the heart of this article, which is part of a sermon, it says this. If somebody asks you if you're a Christian and your response is, well, of course I am. I I grew up in a good home and I'm part of a church. I've got a good family. I'm, I'm a good person. Of course I'm a Christian. The author says, you know what? That person may not really get it. But if you ask somebody if they're a Christian and they said yes, and it's a miracle. You see, I was in prison and somebody shared the gospel and I came to faith in Christ. Or I grew up in a good home. I heard the word of God in the home and the church, but in high school on a Friday night, all that word came home and I believed. It's a miracle. You see, salvation in Christ fundamentally is a miracle. And God is a supernatural, wonder-working, miracle-working God. This miracle is a picture of every sinner who has ever been saved by Jesus Christ. The gospel transforms a man who cannot walk into a man who can walk. But not only just the ability to walk, but also the desire and the ability to leap and to praise God. So finally, you know how they say once you've seen something, you can't get it out of your mind, right? That's why I I know some detectives who, after seeing so many gunshot wounds, so many stabbing wounds... They can't get it out of their mind. Think about the soldiers who've seen stuff on the battlefield and can't get it out of their mind. Well, I want us to take an image with us. Because once you've seen something, it's hard, if not impossible, to erase it. So do you have in your mind's eye the image of that lame man suddenly healed and able to stand up and walk and leap? That man who was filled with thanksgiving and praise. Now as you think about him, the lame man who was healed, consider what, that Christ has done something even more impressive, even greater when he gave himself in your place and purchased redemption with his own life. So I've got a few questions for us to end with. How are you reacting and responding to this truth right here, right now? What do people around us, the people in our community, see in the video of our lives? And I've said to a number of folks, I'm so glad our lives aren't snapshots. Oh my goodness, think about what one snapshot could tell. But thank God it's a video of a walk of faith, of ups and downs, of running into sin and the Lord's rescue over and over and over again. 
So what do people around us see in the video of our lives? And finally, what picture through our lives individually and as a church especially, what picture is on display? Let's end where we began. The Bible is an illustrated book. Your life is a motion picture of the work, past, present, and future, as you cling to the promises of God. It's a picture. It's a motion picture. It's a video of the Word of God and the Spirit of God at work. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this one example, this one of many that could have been recorded, that has been recorded, that shows us on the surface a lame man being healed, a man who could not walk, suddenly able to walk and leap, and a man who responded rightly by praising you. Father, we see that on the surface, and as we consider the breadth and depth of your word, we see behind and below that as well, that this helps us better understand your work in all of us, your work in the church. Father, as we read, help us, even this day, be filled with wonder and amazement as to what has happened and what is happening in us as your word and spirit are at work. For we give thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.